Um, this morning I am going to be going through several passages of Scripture, um, all tying to and relating to the crucifixion. Because we gathered here this morning for a purpose. We gathered here this morning with a sense of excitement. I don't know about you, but I did anyway. Did you come with a sense of excitement? Did you come? You know, the, the word, you know, when we go to church, we don't go to church just to hear that guy stand up there behind the pulpit and run his lips. Oh, boy. <laughs> we got to start all over, Phil. Listen, when we come into the house of God, we come into the house of God expecting to receive from Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is why we come. That's the excitement about coming together and fellowshipping with the believers together. Not sitting at home and watching something on TV, which some are in the habit of doing. That's okay. I understand some can't get out. But don't forsake the fellowship of gathering together. Some are in the habit of doing. So the word of God says. So we've come together this morning expecting to receive. Amen? I came expecting Jesus to blast that trumpet any second and take us out of here. Amen. That's what I come expecting. I don't know what you come expecting, but that's, that's certainly. Now, some came expecting to make sure those donuts and bagels showed up with that fresh hot coffee. Okay? It showed up. You know? It's here, so you can enjoy all you want after service. Or some of you already have indulged before, which is fine. So and do all you want. But I come this morning to share a message that God has placed on my heart. A message about a little baby born to us, the Savior, who came to this world as a baby grew to be a man to pay a price for us that none of us could pay. Today, church, we celebrate because Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. Jesus is alive. That's why we celebrate. But in that amount of celebration, in that thinking on that celebration of knowing that Jesus is alive, we have to go back. And we have to remember what all took place in order for us to be here this morning to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to remember what happened on Good Friday. Jesus was placed on a cross. He was placed on a cross for our sins. This is something that we knew was going to take place from the foundations of the world. This was not a surprise to Jesus. Although it became a surprise to the disciples. It became a surprise to many that were living in that era when Jesus went to the cross. And so Friday was taking place. Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition. They had taken a cat of nine tails with bone in it and they had scourged the back of Jesus. They had ripped the flesh off of his back. The purpose of that was that no one could live through it. They would die before they ever got to the cross. That took place. To carrying his cross. Getting to Mount Calvary. 
being placed upon the cross. All of this, church, I don't know if you realize this, but this just didn't happen over a few minutes or a few hours. This took a total of six hours. That's a long time. It's a long time. From being scourged to being hung on the cross to die. Six long, grueling hours. Where were those who claimed to be his disciples? Where were those who supposedly had his back? Do you know when they entered into the garden to take Jesus, to take him to trial, to make all of this happen? Do you know that the guards showed up? There wasn't just two or three guards. It was a band of guards. Five hundred men to take one. When you begin to think of that, you begin to think of the velocity of how all of this is so important because Scripture is being fulfilled. But yet we have some Pharisees and some Sadducees who are still very concerned about everything that is taking place. You see, because Jesus has to go to the cross. And in the Bible, if you have your Bible with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to uh, John chapter 19. Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers to break the legs of the first, and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. We don't normally bury people alive. And even in the soldiers, and even in Rome, they didn't bury people alive. They made sure they were dead. But how could they know that Jesus was dead? You know, because some of those philosophers out there think that Jesus had only just simply passed out. And that's why he was able to get away. Now, I don't know about you, but when we read on here. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. And then when they saw it, they bear record. And his record is true. You see. They wanted to make sure. And see, when they pierced his side and that blood and that water had spilled out of his side, that let them know one thing. The heart was not beating. So therefore, Jesus was dead. So they didn't need to break his legs. So therefore, the the breaking of the legs was, was was a common practice. You see, because once they were on the cross, they could use their legs or their feet still and push up so that they could get some air into their lungs. But see, if they break the legs, they can't lift up to get, and they would suffer and die quickly. You see, when you begin to think of the magnitude of a crucifixion, you think, how could they do this to the Son of God? How could something so cruel take place? Because it took place because of you and me. 
It took place for your past sins, your present sin, and your future sins. That's what it's all about. You see, he was paying a price for your eternity. Jesus has won. He's, he's victor over the grave. You know, you think about that on Good Friday. I can only imagine how this must have seemed to Satan. Because he's been trying to destroy him since the Garden of Eden. And think about it. He's probably down in, in hell going pacing back and forth. Oh, I finally did it. I finally took care of this problem. Saturday morning, people woke up. I imagine most of them went about their own business. Not thinking anything, just knowing that Jesus had died. So he really wasn't the Son of God. Because had he really been the Son of God, why didn't he call down those angels and take them off the cross? He could have called a legion. Why didn't he do that? So some of those who had believed began to think, well, maybe he was blasphemous. He really wasn't who he said he was. But you know who thought? Do you know who thought he was, who he really was? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were worried. They were worried because, you see, they found themselves petitioning Pilate for some guards. Remember, this guy said he was going to be raised from the dead. The disciples, they didn't think so. They all scattered. But the Pharisees decided, no, 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 no. They, they, they understood there was something more at stake here. What if they were wrong? You see, the spectacular part about the sepulcher, the sepulcher where they placed Jesus, it was a new tomb. Not just any kind of tomb, but this tomb was, was dug out in the side of a rock. There was no way out but through that little doorway. If you've ever been to Jerusalem and you've ever been to the garden tomb, it's only like four foot high. You just can't walk in. You knock your head off. You have to bend down and, and go in. The stone in which they would use to roll in front of that tomb would weigh approximately one and a half to two tons. It lays in a little groove and so in an upward slant. So when a body was placed in, they'd take the little wedge out and the stone would roll in front of the tomb and it would be sealed closed. They would take clay and they would pack it around the, the stone so that it would be sealed. And so when they placed Jesus in this tomb, that's exactly what they did. They went a step further. They actually put ropes in front of the, the stone. And they used a insignia, a wax ring to insignia, that this tomb was sealed. The person that is in here is in fact dead. It was a decree. He's dead. The guards only had one job. 
one job. Guard the tomb. We don't want this dead guy getting up and walking away. You know why they were worried? They heard the miracles. They had seen the people that Jesus had brought back to life. They had every reason to be concerned. They didn't want this to happen. So they get a, bit, a, a, a team of soldiers. And that's 16 soldiers. Four of them would stand shoulder to shoulder in front of the, in front of the, the tomb. And the rest of them would stand in a semicircle around them. From the tomb around. No way for him to escape. Isn't that awesome? They were, they were certain. They were certain nothing was going to take place. Matter of fact, if you flip over to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11... Listen to what happens here. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed themselves unto the chief priests that all that were done. And they were assembled with the elders and they had taken counsel and gave them large sums of money. What are we talking about here? The tomb was empty. The stone was gone. The soldiers were in a bad situation. Their lives are now on the line. They all were asleep. All 16 sleepy guards. So they had to go to the chief priest. So the chief priest, they conspired. They said, we're going to give you a great sum of money. We're going to make things right with, with Pilate and nothing, no harm will come to you. And so we're just going to say somebody stole the body of Jesus. The disciples came and they stole the body of Jesus. How do sleepy people know who stole what? You ever ask that question? You ever see things happen when you're sleeping? Not really. When I'm sleeping, I'm studying the back of my eyelids for holes. Nothing happens. Matter of fact, Virginia says sometimes she feels like the bed is an earthquake. I snore so loud. So the rocks are closed and the earthquake is happening. But we see here these guards are in a, are in a trouble. The stone is gone. Jesus is gone. And what are they going to do? You see, this is, this is all important when it comes to the resurrection because how do we know that, in fact, that Jesus is alive? How do we know that he, in fact, risen from the dead? Because we have the witnesses that saw him after he was killed. And he wasn't still dead. He was alive and well. He was alive and well. Mary and the two Marys, they show up at the tomb. And what does the scripture tell us? That the stone was moved away. Not rolled away. Some, some passages say rolled away. But moved away. 
That means it was taken from point A to point B. Something that it would have took 20 bodybuilders to do, one angel did in an earthquake. They show up and what do they think? There's no Jesus, but there's an angel sitting on the, on the rock saying, why do you come seek the living among the dead? He who you are seeking is alive. He is risen. Now, I don't know about you, but that had to spark a fire of excitement in those ladies. I'm telling you, if, if, if somebody came to you and said, oh, they're not dead, they're alive, you'd be like, wow, yes, hallelujah. Because nobody likes to think about death. It's hard to place yourself in that scenario, not having lived it, not having been there. But church, every time I read the Word of God, every time I pick up the Word, it comes alive to me. It comes alive to me. Every passage I read, every time I begin to read uh, the, 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 the resurrection story, I get excited. I get happy because it, it just ensures in me and it reminds me all that Jesus had not done for me, just paying a price, but he lives. And because he lives, I know I can face tomorrow. I can handle my problems for tomorrow. None of that stuff will bother me. Because my trust is solely in him. Amen. I love my wife to death. But I love Jesus more. You see, if it wasn't for Jesus, what would I have to live for? If he had not paid the ultimate price, why would I even be here? Because there would be no reason for me to be here. Church, that blood-stained cross reminds us of the precious Savior who, when hanging on that cross, was not thinking merely of himself, but he was thinking of each and every one of you in this room this morning. He was thinking specifically, you hadn't even been born yet. How could he, how could he be thinking about you? He was thinking about humanity. He was thinking about the sins of the world that he took upon himself. His father turned away because of what you and I have done. When you begin to think about these things, it begins to become into reality. It brings, it brings a realness, a true understanding. But you know, one of the things you might find hard to believe on that Easter Sunday morning, that tomb wasn't empty. What, well, Pastor, have you lost your mind? You know what you just said? It wasn't completely empty. You see, because laying in that tomb was the shroud. The simple burial clothes of Jesus was all that remained. The cloth the burial cloth that laid upon his face, folded up nice and neat, laying at the head. Whew! I'll tell you what. Now, that ought to give the, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees something to be scared about. 
wait a minute, they unwrapped Jesus and then they made those clothes wrapped up nice like he was still there. It's like, you ever done this? You ever, in your lifetime, take a balloon and blow it up and then you take plaster of Paris and you dip little stuff in it and you make those, or, or paper, what do they call those things? Paper mache, yeah. And you, you put it around it and then you just pop the balloon inside and then the paper mache stays the same. That's kind of how the shroud was. The shroud was just there. And it's full regalia. The, the way Jesus was wrapped in it. But no Jesus. Matter of fact, the scriptures remind us that over 500 people saw him at one time. After his resurrection. Think about doubting Thomas. They were in that upper room. And who, doors closed, but who's standing there? Jesus. What does he say to Thomas? Touch, touch these nail-scarred hands and you'll believe. You see, church, we don't have to touch them because we believe it took place. How do we know that it took place? Because the word of God tells us so. You see, I believe the word of God from beginning to end. From Genesis to Revelation, from word one to word end, I believe the whole scripture. Why? Because it is the divine inspired word of my living God. But this morning as we think about the resurrection, how many of us this morning have taken one opportunity this morning when we woke up and said, thank you, Jesus, for being risen. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for my sins. You see, I don't think any of us got up this morning and first things out of our mouth were, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But those should be the very words that should flow from our lips every single morning when we wake up. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, for taking those stripes, for what? Our healing. By his stripes ye are healed. Wow. That's simple. That exciting to know that just by the mere word of God, just by the mere stripes on his back, you have been made whole. And because of that blood-stained cross, you have been cleansed and made whole. You're clean. You, you're born again. I know sometimes it's, we think of Easter and we think of, we were talking this morning about these Easter lilies. And I said, I wonder why these Easter lilies are so significant. Do you know that the Easter lilies did not grow in that part of the world? They weren't at the tomb. But you know, the scripture talks about lilies, I think it's six times in scripture. It talks about the lilies of the field and those things. And I think that's why they're so monumental to us when we come to Easter. They only grow in the springtime. They don't grow at any other time. And they're beautiful. 
But Jesus knew about each one of these plants and where they were going to be placed today. Just like he knew each one of you would be here this morning. Just as he knows the number of hairs on your head. Jesus knows every single thing about us. There are people in this room that don't know anything about you. Or anything that you're going through even perhaps. But Jesus does. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Jesus is the only one who matters. Sure, you like to take in consideration of those who are with you. But Jesus is the only one that matters. Because he died specifically for Phil. He died specifically for Sharon. He died specifically for Betty, for Lynn, for Chelsea, for Elabel. You see, church, going to the cross, he knew about all the sins of the world. That blood that was shed and the fact that we could come here this morning with great acknowledgement, with great excitement, knowing that He is alive. He is well. There's, there's no death in Jesus. And guess what? When you fall asleep here, I call it asleep. Some people call it dead. But when you close your eyes in death here, the next second, you're there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Eternity has begun over 2,000 years ago. And it's still going on. It's still going on. I envy, I'll be honest, I don't mean to make anybody cry this morning. But I do envy those who have already gone on before us. I think of Maynard, who's already celebrating. I think of Rosemary, who's already celebrating. I think of Sanford and Son, who's already celebrating. Don't you know Jesus had to be like, wow, when he pulled up in that truck? <laughs> what a great time. What a great time they're having. Because eternity has already started for them. We're still in a mere holding pattern. Waiting for our plane to land so we can start eternity. It excites me to think that it's only a trumpet blast away. <laughs> right? We're closer now we were than we walked in the door this morning. Just a mere trumpet blast. Wouldn't that be the most awesome Easter gift you could get this morning? If for that blast to take place, at least I hope you would be happy. And I hope you wouldn't be left behind. Could you imagine being the only one sitting in this church this morning and everybody else just poof, they're gone. And you're like, whoa, what happened? It'd be a terrible situation. That's right, Phil. It'd be a terrible situation. This is why, church, we must diligently seek the Lord God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, everything within us. We must seek the Lord. Because salvation is a free gift. 
Salvation is a free gift. The word of the Lord says, you just simply call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Simply call upon the name of the Lord and ye shall be saved. Repent. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You know what? I know you're going to find me crazy. A lot of people do, but that's okay. I don't mind. Randy's smiling, so he knows I'm crazy. I ask Jesus to forgive me every single day. Because the Bible says to repent daily. The word hasn't changed. The word has not changed. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's going to be the same today as it is in eternity. It's not going to change. Why repent daily? Because I don't know. I don't remember doing anything bad, saying anything bad, thinking anything bad. But you know what? I'm going to repent because I'm going to be sure. Jesus, forgive me of my sleep last night because I don't know what kind of dream I had. Jesus, forgive me of my day because I don't know what I've seen that I shouldn't have seen. I don't know what I heard, what I shouldn't have heard. I don't know what I said I shouldn't have said. You see, church, it's that simple. Jesus is not standing over you with a club saying, oh, you did it again. I told you not to do that. Jesus is standing over you saying, I love you. I love you. Come to me. Come to me with your heavy hearts. Come to me with your filth and I'll clean it up. You don't have to repent to one man in the world, but simply Jesus. Nobody needs to know anything about your sinful life because Jesus already knows. But he wants you to come humbly before him and repent. Church, we're serving a Lord who is alive and well. We're not going to a tomb to see, oh, Jesus was born here and he died here and he's still here. No way. You know how I know? Not just simply the word of God. You know how I know? Because I went to Israel and I saw the empty tomb. That's right. I saw the tomb was empty and the rock wasn't there, like ready to roll back. It was off to the side. Just as the scripture says. Yes, I had to bend down, turn a little side. I was a little heavier then. I had to bend down and turn a little sideways to get in. And it was empty. Just as the word of God declared. Church, it was, I will tell you, it was the most sobering thing I've ever experienced in my life. I left there not saying a word, remembering that Jesus paid a price. And because that tomb is empty, because that tomb is empty, he is alive and well, and I can celebrate my risen king every single day of my life because church, he's alive and well. As you bow your heads this morning, 
there are many of you here. And we would be remiss if I didn't ask you the opportunity or give you the opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart if you've not already done so. We would be remiss if we didn't ask you Do you need Jesus to come back in? Maybe you had him alive and well in your heart at one time, but, but he's, he's kind of not exited. He's never left you, but you left him. And you need to make that right. You need to forge that relationship back with him again. This is the opportunity. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Just simply slip up your hand and I'll pray for you right where you are. Father, you see these hands this morning. Lord, I pray that as they ask you, Jesus, to forgive them of their sins, Lord, that you would come back into their hearts and their lives. Father, that you would clean up the mess. But Lord Jesus, you would come back into their heart and you would be their Lord and Savior. Lord, because that's the greatest gift we have. And this morning, Lord Jesus, as each one of us have our heads bowed before you, Lord, we humbly thank you this morning for what you did for us. Lord, because we celebrate you this morning, because you are alive and well. We celebrate you because you paid a price that we could not pay. Lord, may we never forget the resurrection story. May we never forget all that has taken place. May we continue to give you glory, honor, and praise for our whole life. In Jesus' name. Let's do something a little different this morning. Usually I end with a, a, a benediction prayer, but this morning we're going to do something a little different. This morning, we're going to stand up and give the Lord a praise offering because He is alive and He died for you and for me. Hallelujah. Let's stand and give Him a praise offering. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's alive. Hallelujah. Worship Him, church. Let Him know how much you love Him. I can't think of a better way to end a service than giving my Lord Jesus the praise he so deserves. Go in Jesus today. And remember, he died for you.